And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. (laughs) I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. This is the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. Hey everybody, Max Boltman here alongside Corey Pronman and Chris Peters of Flow Hockey for another episode of the Athletic Hockey Show's Prospect Series. And gentlemen, we have a draft order Chicago Blackhawks are going to pick number one in the Connor Bedard draft. Very likely, we think almost assuredly, will pick Connor Bedard. Uh, Anaheim wins the second pick, and they're going to have a decision to make. Columbus falls to three. Everything else, pretty much as expected. Uh, but, you know, people have gotten Corey and I's live reaction to this, Chris. Uh, let, let's start with you here. What were your first thoughts when you saw uh, that card flip over, those cards flip over in Chicago and Anaheim on top? Yeah, stunned, really. I mean, you know, I think that uh, the Blackhawks, I, I didn't anticipate them moving up, um, you know, but that's the way the lottery goes. It's not supposed to be predictable. It's not supposed to be uh, locked, anything locked into place. But, you know, to see that and certainly, you know, the the craziness of moving on the same year they move on from Patrick Kane is the year they get the next number one pick. And the fact that Connor Bedard might end up have, you know, could be better than Patrick Kane if he hits on all of his projections is pretty insane. Um, you know, and obviously I think you, you looked at the reaction throughout. If there was one team that no one else wanted to have the number one pick, it was basically the entire NHL said, I'm fine. You know, if Columbus gets it, that's awesome. If Anaheim gets it, great. Just not Chicago. And then they get <laughs> it. And uh, so that was that was interesting to kind of watch that all play play out. Obviously, we had the little flub on the TV broadcast that made things a little weird there. Uh, which kind of heightened the tension um, in, in some weird way, even though we yep. it kind of spoiled it, spoiled it. But then it, at the same time, it's like, oh, it's Anaheim or Chicago. And now we're down to the last two. We know go through a whole commercial break. Was that a mistake? Did that actually happen? And then they flip the cards and, and Chicago gets it. So 
Uh, pretty insane. Um, and, you know, obviously now you get Connor Bedard in an American market and one of the largest media markets in the country. You know, people certainly say, oh, well, it's rigged, but it's not. Um, and and that's to me, I think, you know, potentially it's, you know, nobody's happy that it's the Blackhawks, but it's probably a net positive for the NHL that you've got Connor Bedard in, in a large American market. I thought Laz did an interesting article a couple of days ago, like kind of trying to tamper down the Bedard hype. A little bit, uh, you know. I think it's. I think it's always a fair uh, thing to write about a kid who has yet to play one NHL game. You know. You know. We're talking here. You know. Chris is saying things like, and I don't think it's unfair. Like, if he hits, he could be better than Patrick Kane. But you know, Patrick Kane was had a, has had a hell of a career. Yeah. So far, three three Stanley Cups, and you know, I I see the arguments. So, you know, maybe you compare, say, their World Juniors to one another. It would be, you know, you know in terms of. Uh, you know, obviously, Bedard's nearly a full year uh, younger at the same point as Patrick Kane, and they're still putting up the same level of incredible offense in the CHL. I get that argument too, uh, but I think there's also fair to look at number ones we thought would be high impact guys, whether it was Alexi Lafreniere, whether it was Nail Yakupov, you know, or, or or others over the years, and and maybe not, you know. Say this guy is for sure going to win in a Hart Trophy or or an Art Ross Trophy. Uh, it's it's because uh, I think sometimes we can get a little bit ahead of ourselves uh, with this stuff. I I agree. I think that was a great point, and I think an important one for people here is I was getting texts from from friends like, "Hey, you know, should I get back in on the Blackhawks here now?" And uh, you know, I I think if if you go into this Connor Bedard uh, era expecting him to be one of the five or 10 best players of all time. I think you can make an argument. Patrick Kane is uh, the best American player of all time. Yeah. It's, it's hard to live up to that. And so I think I thought, I thought it was a pretty responsible column by Laz. I, I, I like that he did it. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think if he's, I think if he's as good as Jack Hughes, you have to be thrilled. I think yeah, this is a, this is a heart trophy candidate right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if he's putting up hundred point seasons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you've, Right now, we're, we're, we're throwing on the brakes here pretty hard. I think we're throwing them on too hard, honestly. <laughs> I mean, like, I, you know, let's, 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 let's break it down. I mean, this is one of the best junior hockey seasons we've ever seen. Not saying that that automatically translates to the NHL. I mean, we're, we're talking about a 71-goal scorer at, as, a, as a 17-year-old player, a guy that had 50 at 16. We have a record-setting World Junior Championship. Yes, there are absolutely reasons that things can go wrong. Injuries happen. You you end up in the wrong situation. Chicago doesn't build around him properly. He doesn't, you know, he has a terrible experience his first his first year. Anything can happen in in between now and then. But I think in terms of overall projection and looking at what we're, you know, if we're talking about guys that we've been tracking, I mean, Corey, where does he rank? among the guys in, since the McDavid draft. It's got to be right next to McDavid, does it not? Yeah, well, we did an article on that uh, last week where we actually polled NHL scouts about that. And they uh, he was the second uh, number one pick in, in that conversation behind McDavid. Uh, most of the scouts I talked to felt it was a debate between him and Austin Matthews at the same mm-hmm. age. True, true. Uh, some thought it was one thought it was close between him and Jack Hughes. One thought it actually was close between him and McDavid, uh, but most felt he was the second or the third best number one pick of the last ten years, and that was ahead of Jack Hughes. That was ahead of Rasmus Dahlin, guys who have become uh, legit stars in the NHL. Mm-hmm. But 
but and we think yeah I think Bedard is going to become a star in the NHL. I think he's going to become an impact player, a guy who can change uh, the timeline of a rebuild in Chicago. But he's also hasn't played one NHL game yet, so there are risks that come with that. And I don't think Corey and I are saying like you know if he hits if he's better than than Jack Hughes, like that's like what you know the the potential is. It's that you know if he's as good as Jack Hughes, like that's a success, very successful number one overall pick, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I would say that's, that's totally fair. I mean, and I think, I think it just, yeah, absolutely. That, that to me is where, you know, he probably, he's probably going to be somewhere between there and Connor McDavid, right? You know, like I don't, we, we, I, I don't know. They had a video package at the beginning of that draft that said skates like McDavid scores like, or shoots like Matthews. And I, my head almost. But do you think off. he skates like McDavid? Like I, no, that was he one doesn't. That I, yeah, he doesn't. Like that. That was the thing that bothers me is that we're saying that he is the hybrid of the two best players, two of the best players in the NHL. You put them together, and that's him. No, that's so. So that's that's clearly off. Yeah. You know, off off the reservation. But yeah, my only issue with the Bedard hype isn't like if you want to say he's one of the two to three best prospects of the last ten years. Like, go ahead. That's absolutely a reasonable conversation to have. Comparing to Matthew, comparing to Eichel, Dowling, Jack Hughes, you could put them ahead of all of those guys. Frankly, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Yeah, yeah. When I when I my, I my kind of my eye twitches when I hear the generational tag sometimes because like that to me means Sidney Crosby, that to me yes. means Eric Lindros, that to me means Connor McDavid, and I don't I have not seen that. I'm not saying it's not far off, but I have not seen that personally. Like I, Connor McDavid was a freak of nature. Like he was a perfect hockey player at the age of 17. There was, and I just, I, 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 I'm not saying that to like kind of like be a party pooper when it comes to Bedard. I just, when I see all this generational talk, I worry he's going to have just a 50 or a 60 point season next year. And, and people are going to be underwhelmed by that. Yeah. And honestly, his first year, I think, is going to be really difficult because let's face it, Chicago has nothing. Like, yep. I mean, there is not a lot there to help him out right now. Sure. There, you know, there's a trade off to that, though, right? Because every power play, the puck's going to be on his stick. For sure. For sure. Like, he's going to get plenty of opportunities. He's going to play big minutes. You know, he's he's going to have to be the guy. They're going to have to find ways to insulate him a little bit so that he doesn't have to be the guy and the team, that, the guy that everybody's keying on when they're playing the Blackhawks. But you know, that's going to be, that's going to be something for the offseason. And now it really, you know, you know, when we, we, we talk about it later, something that Kyle Davidson and his, his group has to figure out because you have one job now, and that is to make sure that Connor Bedard hits on all these lofty projections. You have to make sure that this is a cannot miss, cannot fail guy. That's going to be the centerpiece of your team. And it starts next year. And it's going to be hard because I think of all the teams that were available to Bedard in the, the lottery range, I feel like Chicago has the furthest to go of all of them based on what they did last offseason and into this season, moving on from Kane and Taves. So when you when you talk about that, I, I'm, I've got the free agent class pulled up in front of me here. And uh, ironically, the, the, the two top names on it, because it's sorted by Caput are Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves. Uh, <laughs> but, but when I look down the list, there's a couple of names that I think stand out to me. The first one is Jason Zucker, because this is a guy who's coming out of playing with Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. And I think if you're going to go looking for people to surround Connor Bedard with, that is not a bad perspective to potentially you know have around and to have who can talk to him who can play with him who's used to you know playing with guys who see the game like that I wonder if that's not a, a really you know appealing target potentially 
Uh, I like the way he would play too, kind of the hardness in his game, go into the corners, get the pucks out, uh, be a guy who could maybe be a net front guy on the power play. Yeah, so I, I think that. I see Ryan O'Reilly. I mean, Chris, Chris, what do you think of these? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you have to, if you're Chicago, you have to be looking at overpaying for certain guys and you have the cap space to do it. You have the uh, timeline to do it because you are not, let's let's face it, the Chicago Blackhawks are not going to make the playoffs next year. You know, they they very well could be in the lottery again next year and, and we're talking, you know, shooting for Macklin Celebrini for, for the twofer here, which would really upset people. But, you know, I, I think that for them, absolutely, guys like that, Ryan O'Reilly, guys that you can have that are going to just provide some cushion and and allow and, – and guys like – especially that go Riley, it's a, that, that's a player. And, and Zucker, it's a, I think that's such a great call. Guys like that that, that have that – heaviness in their game they can show him you know he's never going to be that that yeah. heaviness you know he but he is gonna he's gonna benefit from seeing how those guys operate he's not heavy but he has a bit of an edge in his game like he's he does. not a pushover he, he can retrieve for, for bedard no doubt yeah yeah well yeah and connor connor is a really good like he he's got a little bit of fire as Corey said like in his lower body he's really put a lot of emphasis on and he's hard to knock off pucks and he's so you know but he's going to be able to you know, have guys that can help him, you know, just protect him a little bit. Not, and I'm not meaning like fighting or hitting or anything. It's more just, he just needs to have that cushion because there is so, there's such a dearth of talent right now on that roster with all due respect, you know, there are going to be some young guys that are coming and there's guys like Seth Jones and Connor Murphy, who I think are very effective veteran players. Um, But there's just not a lot of that. And so, yeah, so it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And I think that this, you have to be looking kind of in your short-term plan and your long-term plan. I think a lot of these guys that we're talking about, you want to have short-term contracts. Maybe it's a little bit more expensive than you would normally pay, but it's something just to make sure that Connor Bedard is not on an island here. Yeah, and it's a good point. I mean, this, this is a guy who's barely 5'10", 185 pounds. He's going to have a target on his back every single night. We're going to have Scott Powers on in just a second. And we're going to pick up on this uh, conversation on, on the Blackhawks. But let's move to the team that gets the number two pick here. Anaheim gets Adam Fantilli. Corey, we talked in the live stream about the options this gives them. Potentially, you're deciding between do you want to run your top three line centers as Zegras, Fantilli, McTavish, which is absolutely menacing, or do you want to potentially flex you know, Zegras out to the wing at some point? And, and I think that's a, a dynamic top line potentially for Anaheim. Um, really sets them up in, into just one of the most desirable situations in the NHL, I think. Right. It's not just those forwards and those three forwards. And I will touch on Fantilli in a second. Let's just presume it is Fantilli for a second. Yeah. Those three forwards would be absolutely exceptional prospects. But, I, you know, they didn't have Jamie Drysdale all season because of an injury. You know, I'd be really yeah. curious to see what their team looks like when we have a year older, healthier Jamie Drysdale. Pavel Minchikov, maybe a year or two away. You know, they've ha- they have – uh, with Michikov, two other defensemen of the year in the respective QMJHL <laughs> leagues, Olin Zellweger and Tristan Luneau. I don't know. You can have reasonable debates on how high caliber those two prospects are. Luneau skating, Zellweger size being the deficiencies there, but they're both very good prospects. So, you know, I think there is an exciting, uh, group of players coming up in Anaheim and this, and then, uh, a smaller NHL market, uh, you know, this is the way they need to build which is through the draft and developing their own core. That's how they did it with their, with their previous uh, Stanley cup champion. And I think you're, you're seeing a foundation here with this number two pick that could be that next core, but let's touch on maybe who that number two pick is going to be because, well, I think 
the likely to the very likely scenario is that it's Adam Fantilli. I don't think it's a 100% lock that's the pick. I think you can talk to people in the league that think Will Smith is in that conversation. That frankly, I think, and more frankly, who think Leo Carlson is in that conversation. And I think you're going to have now over the next couple of weeks, both Adam Fantilli and Leo Carlson playing at the Men's World Championships. And I think that would be a very interesting measuring stick. One that we really haven't seen at the Men's World Championships that high in the draft uh, since the Austin Matthews, uh, Patrick Line World Championships 2016, uh, where they were both absolutely incredible. Yeah, and that did shift the debate after that a little bit more. You know, there was a lot. There, there, there was like there was some doubt in there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so there was all all of a sudden some doubt about you know is Austin Matthews the lock to go number one? I mean, Line was just unbelievable in the playoffs and then the then the tournament, um, just incredible. And and I, to Corey's point too, you know, as you look at what the Ducks have built and the young core that they have and the guys that they have, and and it, it allows them that flexibility. Um, to, you know, kind of look and, and take, take all angles. Who is the player that's going to best fit what they do? I personally still think it's Fantilli. I think he's got the speed, the physicality, you know, he can, he can kind of take some of the brunt of the, of the, the offensive weight off of guys like Zegris and Terry. Um, you know, you also have him plus McTavish. That's just a handful for years to come. Guys that can play playoff brand hockey because they, they have that physical edge. They have, you know, the, the, the power in their games as well. And then on top of that, they have the offensive potential. But I think that the thing, you know, you look at guys like Leo Carlson, you look at Will Smith and you say, you know, they think the game at a, at a pretty high level. They think it at a high level. The other thing that I also was thinking about, and I don't think this would happen with Anaheim, but at the same time is like, because of all that young talent, is it completely out of the question to consider Matt Vaymichkov at that point and say, hey, we've mm-hmm. got our young core. Can we wait? I don't know. I mean, it's it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, I still think that Mitchkov is one of the best players in this draft. And, you know, if you're a team like that, that you start to have your young foundation, you can add a potential superstar winger to that group. I mean, it's not out of the, to me, it's not out of the question, but I think they're going to go center. I think it will most likely be Fantilli. And that's, you know, that's probably the best path forward for that franchise. For me, with the World Championships thing, it would, I think, have to take a distinct difference in terms of how the two players look there. Like if Carlson's just a little bit better, I think you still look at the track record, the toolkit, all those things are in Fantilli's favor and you go that way. But if Carlson is notably better over the next couple of weeks, I think that makes the debate a little bit more interesting. To me, the the, the who the GM here is comes into this because Pat Verbeek was famously the little ball of hate. He comes from this, uh, these Steve Eisman front offices where compete is, you know, highly valuable. I'm not saying Leo Carlson is not a competitor, but I think when you see the edge that Adam Fantilli plays with, I have a hard time seeing Pat Verbeek seeing that and saying, no, thanks. I'll go a different direction. That's fair. Uh, but the fact that there could be a debate is actually very good news for the team in the three spot, which is Columbus. Uh, whether it is, as as Chris says, uh, could be Mavi Mitchkov, who has an argument on talent as the guy there, whether it's Leo Carlson or maybe Adam Fantilli or whether it's Will Smith. I know uh, Blue Jackets fans are probably extremely disappointed right now, and I, I think they have every right to be. But they're going to get a really good player, albeit not the uh, maybe quite franchise changer that they might have hoped. Um, but it's still a really good situation here, Corey, for, for Columbus. Right, and I think there is hope that – 
This team is a lot better than they were last season. There was a lot of significant injuries on this team last season. They, you know, they did sign Johnny Gaudreau. I think they're hoping maybe you make some changes this offseason. They can be a lot better. You add a premium talent, whether that premium talent, whether it's Smith, Carlson, maybe Fantilli, maybe Mitch Cobb, who knows, that maybe they don't help you next season, but then a year or two. And I think you're hoping Ken Johnson grows to a little bit more. I think you, you're praying that Cole Cylinder is better next season. Uh, obviously, he, he, had, he had a tough year, second-year pro, but still 19-year-olds, not really red alarms in any regard. Uh, but yeah, I, I think what's interesting with Columbus is the timeline for this management group. I think they're gonna. I think there's a lot of pieces long-term for this organization to be in good shape. I think they, you know, they have some really good young players and and guys like Rowenski signed for the long term. Uh, can this management group, you think? build this team though in time and Yar- is Yarmo Kekalainen still there by the time this team's in the playoffs again so far I I think I mean it's it's a tough that's a tough one I I think he's gotten a long time more time than you tend to see Daryl Manders get now part of that is they kind of had that stretch where they were seemingly coming out of this rebuild and then for a number of reasons Pierre-Luc Dubois Seth Jones etc they kind of are forced to go backward. I don't know how much you do or don't blame the management group for that. I, that's probably the core of, of ownership's decision there is, did they fail at that first rebuild? And, you know, I think that colors how you would look at how much time you're going to give them on a second, or was it more out of their control? I think that's kind of the first question if you're the ownership group you're trying to answer. Yeah, you know, I, I it's tough. I think Columbus is in such a tough situation. Johnny Goudreau has changed the narrative a bit that you can't get top-end free agents to sign there, but that could be a one-off. I mean, it, it the, the stars aligned there and everything worked out. The thing is, I, I think this draft is, is really, you know, the decision they make at number three is the most critical decision they have left. And to Corey's point, does the, if the clock really is ticking on Yarmo Kekalainen, I think that we're going to see that reflected in who is taken third overall. Um, you know, Yarmo in his post lottery availability, said that, you know, there are going to be good centers there. This has been a team that has really struggled to find a number one center, to keep a number one center, to have somebody that can be that long-term pivot for them. And there's a chance that it could be Will Smith or Leo Carlson in that range that is still available. Um, If Adam Fantilli is there, you run to the podium. You just go right up there as quickly as you possibly can. Um, but that's the, that's the, the thing. And, you know, in, in, in my mock draft, which I know we're going to talk about later, but you know, the thing about one Corey's point is one that I didn't necessarily consider when I made mine is, is that, you know, they've also often have their idea of who the next best player is. And could Matt V. Mitchkov be the transformational player that the blue jackets need to get to the next level? He's not a center, but he is, you know, Corey and I have talked about it a lot, you know, What's the difference between Matvey Mitchkov and, and Will Smith? I think it's fairly significant, honestly. Um, but maybe not as much as we used to think, but I think it's pretty big. Um, and so that's another discussion to have. So do you go for the positional need or do you go for the guy that you have to wait for, knowing that you have veteran talent, knowing that you have some guys on the way, knowing that David Juracek is coming, knowing that you have some areas that you're going to need to probably address either by trade or free agency. But do you make that, that thing? And I think, 
because of the timeline that they're on and because of the fact that you need to maximize Johnny Goudreau, maybe that's why they wouldn't go in that direction and focus more on the center and hope that, you know, the question that I have is, is Leo Carlson, does Leo Carlson have the pace to be a number one center? Does Will Smith have the all around game to be a number one center? Those are legitimate questions that I think, you know, there are actually some teams that haven't believed that Will Smith is going to be a center, you know, so that's the other thing you have to kind of take into account. I personally think he is, I think he's a play driving center, but you know, that's, those are the questions they have to answer at number three. When I read the comments to our staff mock the other night, I think it was a Blue Jackets fan who, who commented some of the effect of like, can Columbus really afford to to go with, a, we, we took uh, Will Smith for them in the staff mock, or Scott did. Can they really afford to go for another smaller forward here? Do they need some power at the top? They have Cole Sillinger, but you don't think of, of power forward when you think of Kent Johnson. I, I think, you know, maybe you could argue you don't think of true power forward when you think of Leo Carlson. But I think He's there's an argument for that too. He is big, yeah. yeah. And I think he can play on the inside, and he, yeah, he's not going to run people over, but he gets to the net really well. And no, it's a it's a good argument. And the, the center search is interesting because you look at Ken Johnson, and he's played center at times as an amateur and a pro. But you know, is he for sure a number one center? Yeah, I can't say can't sit and tell you that. Same thing with Cole Sillinger; he's played a lot of center as a pro. Is he going to be a number one center? I can't sit here and tell you that. And you can't really sit here and tell you that for either Smith or Carlson. I think what's really interesting with Carlson though is. In the lead up to this, to the world championships for Sweden, he has been playing center, which he hasn't played all year between the world juniors and in the SHL. And if he plays center effectively at that high a level at this age, that is a really persuasive argument, I think. Corey, you hinted at it a minute ago when we were talking about Mitchkov, but the other day on the, on the show, you said, you know, it, it could very well be that we're actually talking about Mitchkov in the six to 10 range here if, if he doesn't go here at three I think that that's maybe is an indication that you know yeah it could be about Columbus's individual situation but maybe that the league isn't just looking at this the way that we might ranking true talent yeah I think there is and it's hard to say we're we're recording this in early May right now I think a lot's going to change between now and late June I think all yeah. the hockey people agree he's a great player not like every single person I think has him rated maybe as highly as Chris and myself do, but most hockey people think he's a hell of a hockey player. I, I don't think that's the debate right now. I think the debate is is really on the risk factors, the patience, and 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 not and taking him in lieu of taking guys like a Will Smith or Leo Carlson who are extremely good hockey players. Maybe not as highly rated, but still extremely good prospects that you feel highly confident are going to be in your lineup in the next year or two. Uh, but I don't think we'll really know, and I don't think teams are really going to know where they stand on this question until we get really uh, close to the draft. But that's just been the general sentiment I've gotten early on is I, I, I just have a hard time as a stand. If the draft happened tomorrow, tomorrow, seeing Mitchkov go ahead of Smith, seeing him go ahead of Leo Carlson uh, for the reasons I just discussed. Uh, but it'll be really interesting. I think it's the, I think everybody that I talked to in the league agrees it's the biggest question in the draft this season is who takes that swing. And, uh, you know, you kind of see the comments early on from management groups about it. You know, uh, I think you've seen, for example, Mike Greer in San Jose kind of say publicly that, you know, they they, they want to try and get this this team rebuilt. You know, I don't think they use the word rebuild. I think they've actually, uh, Massasek, our shark writer, has noted they've intentionally avoided using that word. <laughs> but they're trying to get this done in a quicker manner. 
you know, Quaker does not, to me, invoke the name Matvey Michkov, for example. Um, you know, so it's, I think patience is, is a big part of this. And it's interesting when I talk about patience too with Michkov, I think a lot of people in the league, whether, or frankly, readers too, always make the comments about like, oh, it's going to be three years minimum, you know, insinuating that he might sign an extension, which he could. But, um, in my time covering top Russian prospects, it's pretty rare, I find, if the guy is a truly exceptional player, that he signs an extension. Like, Kaprizov they, did it. Yeah, but he was not that kind of prospect when he was 17, 18 years old. He was a fifth-round pick. Like, it's like, it's like That kind of player typically does not sign long extensions, especially when he's already signed a long deal to start with. Again, things could happen. There are risks. There are uncertainties, both with the player – the contract, the organization, and, and frankly, the, the, the war with Ukraine. There's a whole lot of uncertainties, and I get it. But I I would say not – I can't sit here and give you any guarantees, but I would say there's a strong probability at the end of that KHL contract he's coming to the National Hockey League, presuming you know he can with everything going on in the world. Yeah, yeah. The, the thing about top Russian players, just like Corey said, there is they, – they have the same feeling – as any other player that they want to be the best and they know if they want to be the best, they have to come to the NHL. And so I, you know, Mitch Cobb has been talked about since he was, you know, 16, 15, 16 years old. You know, we've, we've watched him. We've seen him dominate international competitions. We, we haven't seen him do that lately because of you know, Russia being banned. But the thing is, is that, you know, coming into this year, some people would have the conversation about, you know, Mitch Cobb being Connor Bedard's, biggest competition for number one. Um, and I think we all, a lot of us felt that going in. We've seen them head to head at the under 18 worlds a couple of years ago, but you know, things have changed and we're, we're judging a KHL season versus a WHL season, all these different things. And I, I do think Bedard is the better of the two players um, by, by a more significant margin than I ever, than previously, you know, coming into this year. But that's the thing that the interesting thing is, you know, if you're waiting, think about, you know, it's we see 2526 on his contract and it's, you know, but it's it's next season's 2324, next season 2425, 2526. Okay, so you've got three seasons essentially where you're just waiting. Um in in the in the end you're getting that player he's he's developing at a high level, he's playing in one of the best leagues in the world. He is he is getting an opportunity to to build and gain confidence probably back with Ska very soon and in one of the best franchises. He could have a chance to win championships, all these different things. You're getting free development out of that time. He's only going to get better. I have a lot of faith in the player, you know, in terms of projecting the player out. And so now, you, but the risk assessment is there. I think the reward potential for Matt Vamichkov is exceptionally high. Um, and there's a lot of variables there, but I think the reward is exceptionally high in that you could have a superstar offensive talent. If he's one of the smartest hockey players in this draft, I love the way that he scores goals. He does. He just finds ways to create offense. That's what you have to decide. Not necessarily. And, and, you know, GMs don't make those decisions in a vacuum. There's a lot of timelines and different things. How does he fit into our timeline? But can we afford to pass on potentially one of the best players in this draft? One final point in terms of the timeline stuff. I think you look at the teams and you know, what I would kind of think is like is the Mitchkov alleyway kind of thing. We're not including Chicago, we're not including let's say even Anaheim. That's you know it's you know Columbus, San Jose, Montreal, Arizona, Philadelphia. I would say is kind of the prime alleyway there in terms of where he should fit in terms of talent. 
none of those are organizations. I think you can realistically look at their rosters and their farm systems, and you say they should be a contender within the next two to three years. Columbus has like the one little asterisk on them because I think they expect it to be better, but like I think these are all organizations that should be realistically looking at their rosters and saying to themselves like, what is in the best long-term interest of an organization? The draft's not about trying to make your team better in two years from now. It's about trying to draft the guy who's going to have the best career. Uh, you know, we just talked about Chicago earlier. Chicago didn't draft Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze for what they were going to do in year two or year three of their draft after their draft. They were looking for what they were going to do for the 15 years of their career. With Chicago. It went pretty well in year two or three after the draft for, uh, for Chicago. <laughs> too, yes, yes, uh, certainly. <laughs> this will not be the last time we talk about uh, landing spots and, and outlook for Mavi Mitchkov. But we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Scott Powers. Talk about Connor Bedard and how he fits with the Blackhawks. What he means uh, for the short-term future of the Blackhawks. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. Joining us now is one of our favorite people at the company, one of our favorite kind of guests, the kind who drops what they're doing to get on with you 30 seconds after you call them. That is Scott Powers, uh, Blackhawks beat writer here at The Athletic. Scott, uh, we'll start with this. What have the last 48 hours been like uh, there in Chicago with some seismic news, obviously? Yeah, no, it's it certainly changed the conversation around the Blackhawks where I think a lot of people were we're we're down, you know, as tough as this season was, people thought there was going to be, you know, a golden prize at the end and um as good as this draft is and you guys all are well aware of this, it, you know, there's a difference between Bedard and, and Will Smith, right? So, um I, I think um you know, fourth or fifth, it's, you know, I, I think I think even Kyle Davidson kind of come to terms with that and you know, he um you know, I know there are times this year he was really stressed out about them winning games and just, you know, how Anaheim was doing or Columbus and um, you know, kind of came to terms with that at this point, you know, like they, everything's out of the control. He hired the coach. He did the other teams, you know, were, were, were worse than the Blackhawks than they were. And, um, you know, regardless, they felt like they were going to get a good player and, and, you know, depending on how, you know, who they got, they, they probably would have to build their team a little bit differently. So I, I think he came resigned to that, you know, they were going to get the fourth or fifth best player in this draft. And, um, and, uh, yeah, for, for things to change like, like they did. Yeah. It was, it was a shock to, I think from, you know, from the organization on down and, um, you know, the season ticket sales have been, 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 you know, reportedly just, you know, just 
booming and certainly has changed, uh, you know, the coverage where, you know, I think Laz and I thought we were going to kind of step away after the lottery for a little bit. And, and certainly there's a little bit more to write and the fans are excited and yeah, it, it changes, it changes the future. I mean, uh, no one's going to say the Blackhawks deserve this, especially, you know, walking away from Kane and Taves, but um, this is, this is the perfect scenario for them. You know, they, they just stepped away from two, um, two franchise pieces and, you know, and then they're handed another one. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed everything that, that you thought maybe was going to happen with the Blackhawks, at least in the near future. It is kind of that, that big break that you need whenever you go into a rebuild and they get it right away. But I think one of the immediate questions is like, what does this mean for their timeline? Because Connor Bedard's not walking into a ready-made playoff situation here necessarily either. Like, how does this affect what Chicago's going to do this summer? And, and what do you think this means for their timeline overall? Yeah, I, I think it has to alter a bit, you know, like I, I think if they had looked at, you know, Will Smith or, or even Carlson, I think you're looking at someone who's, you know, maybe a year or two away and you're probably not worried about who you're putting on this year's roster. And, and, and probably in some ways you're probably shooting for Macklin, you know, Celebrini next year or, or another top five pick. And they, and they potentially might be getting another, you know, high draft pick next year. But I, I think they want to put some... Um, you know, some veteran players around, you know, it's not just, um, you know, it won't be just um, Connor Bedard coming in, but it's, it'll be Lucas Reichel at, at 21 still, you know, playing his first NHL season, you know, potentially Kevin Krajinski, um making the jump. And, you know, they also have young guys like, um, you know, White Kaiser and Alex Velasic. So you have a lot of young players coming in and you've you've surrounded them with some you know so, some veterans there's Connor Murphy coming back and Seth Jones and and Tyler Johnson but I think they want some higher end players who have played with um guys of this level and so you know I, I think a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi is in the mix or you know a Comfer or, you know the, it's it's not the greatest UFA class so there's some limitations so I think um you know I think the Blackhawks will end up overpaying for some players because one they needed to get to the cap floor still like that's going to be a challenge based on who they got rid of and and two they um, they want someone to kind of probably be the you know the stopgap until they can figure out um, which of their other prospects. I mean they have, they have they have another first rounder this year. They have four second rounders, um, you know, two first rounders again next year. So I mean, there's other pieces that could be could be complementing um, you know a player like Bedard that's not immediately in an organization. So I think they want to bring veterans on now that could you know help them along and make things a little bit easier for them, but also probably not be permanent pieces, but. I think it certainly accelerates who they're looking at. And um, even from, you know, I, I wrote about it today a little bit, just from a cap perspective, you know, like it's in three years, you know, you're probably paying 10, you know, 10 to 12, whatever, wherever the cap's at, you know, 13, 14 million dollars if you're looking for a long-term deal for Conor Bedard. So I think some of that stuff kind of kind of comes into play too. So it, it certainly accelerates a lot of those conversations. So um, I, I, you know, I'd be shocked if they didn't, um, go out and get a veteran or two this summer. I mean, there was talk of Max Domi and Andres Adam at the CU coming back, and um, and those are possibilities. But I also think that um, th- there's some other guys that maybe they weren't thinking about as much that maybe more of our possibilities now too. Uh, two questions I had for you, Scott. Uh, one, like I said, we I think we agree that maybe with the addition of Bedard, it changes the plans for this off season. But presuming it's just the roster as it stands right now, who are potential line mates? for Bedard going into next season to kind of frame what the first stage of this conversation might look like. And the second question is, I think in some NHL circles, uh, there have been at least debates about whether long-term Connor Bedard's going to be a center or a wing in the NHL. I think you look at Chicago's depth chart, and the, the, especially in a post-Jonathan Tays era, and frankly, the lack of centers. 
And have you heard any discussions about where they think he could fit on the depth chart in year one? Like Jack Hughes, I remember played wing in the in the first year, but different set of players on the Chicago roster right now. Yeah, I, I don't know about uh, I, I guess short term, long term. I, I I'm pretty sure they see him as a center, um, and maybe some of that's dictated by who they can get this um, this summer. Maybe you know if Max Domi's coming in, um, maybe Domi's his, his center. Um, you know, um, but I, I yeah from from the conversations I had with sources at least even before the draft, you know, leading up to it, they they thought Bernard was definitely a center for them, and considering who they have lost and. Um, and their pipeline, and right now it's um, you know Frank Nazar's there and uh, Paul Lewinsky, and they drafted a bunch of centers that are um, you know some of them too you know guys that probably you know move to the wing as they go on, but I think they were drafting Bedard as as a number one center, um, and whether that's in the short term, yeah, I, I think some of them may be based on who they get this summer. Um, as for the current roster, I mean there there aren't a lot of top six possibilities, and I think Reichel's the one that jumps out from just uh, potential and, and skill set. But whether you want to put two guys like that, two young guys together, maybe depends on that third guy. You know, Tyler Johnson, uh, Taylor Radish, uh, Philip Kershev, other guys who play top six roles. Um, I, you know, none of them probably kind of pop in that same way. Um, you know, I, I think the Blackhawks were happy with Domi and the CU and um, two guys that they, uh, you know, that they potentially could bring back and, um, there aren't a lot of guys in, you know, even in Rockford and the American League that are probably ready for that jump. You know, uh, Colton Dock's about to enter the system. Uh, he's going to turn pro. Um, but, yeah, there's not a lot of, I mean, it's it was such a, uh, yeah, it was definitely a void there of, of forward prospects and, and guys who just, who didn't click and then obviously trading away some of their, some of their top young talent, like, you know, to bring it and uh, Dock and that too. So it, it, there aren't a lot of guys there. So I, I think that, I, yeah, I, I think they, they're going to have to go out and get a couple top six forwards if they want to complement Reichel and, and Bedard. But I, I think Reichel and Bedard could make sense, whether it's, it's from the beginning or not, we'll see. Um, and then I, I think they'll sprinkle some of those veterans like, you know, Radish, who has a pretty good shot. And Tyler Johnson's obviously played with some high-end players. And, you know, Philip Kurvchev's kind of bounced around, and he's probably, you know, destined to be a bottom six player. But he can, you know, he can play up up top a little bit and he's had that experience. So I, I think there's a few players that can potentially fit with them, but I, I think most off they I mean, most likely they want to go out, go out and get a couple of those guys too. What are your biggest curiosities, I guess, at this point with, with what this means for the franchise? I mean, as you're coming out of this, I'm sure there's a million, million kind of questions as to what comes next. Yeah. I, I think the biggest one is, is how they start assembling the team because it's uh, yeah, the, this UFA class isn't great. So what does this mean for next summer? You know, I, um, and knowing the type of player that Bedard is, so, you know, if it had been Carlson, then, um, you know, I think maybe different types of wingers would have made more sense. But, you know, I knew the Blackhawks hadn't thrown, you know, like they hadn't, um, you know, pushed on the idea of bringing Alex Dabrinka back, you know, if he's a UFA next summer. And, you know, depending on what happens with him in Ottawa, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look like a long-term extension is happening there. So would they bring Dabrinka back? You know, where does, um, I, I think at this point, they can kind of start game planning a little bit more than they could have, you know, like, where with whomever they else they drafted, like you, you probably have an idea, but now you have a definitive number one player. And, and I know there'd been even talk of, um, you know, if they didn't get the number one, two pick that, you know, maybe we need to start to building a team a little bit differently because as good as Reichel is, and, you know, maybe Will Smith would have been, um, that maybe, you maybe you build it like Carolina or something like that, where you don't have that definitive superstar. And, um, and I think that changes that conversation too. So I think, um, you know, you know, having conversations with, you know, team sources leading up to this, you know, kind of their thought process and then seeing how that's evolved, you know, with, with, 
with one pick and just how how the the, the whole makeup of a team can look. I think that's um, you know it's really interesting and you know I I, I think even you know what what you had done sort of with projecting where the team is in in twenty five twenty six that sort of story. Um, yeah, it, it just it, it changes the landscape where it, a week ago it looked one way and now it's another. So I, I think for me, it's just it, it's the roster construction and, and what this means for, um, you know, like when you put Kevin Krachinski and Lucas Reichel on a poster, it's one thing if you put Connor Bedard between them, like it, it, it let the whole, you know, the whole the whole picture looks a lot different. So I, I think the Blackhawks were excited about their, their youth and they certainly have a lot more draft picks, but it's uh, yeah, it looks a little bit shinier when, when Connor Bedard's there. Lot to get into in the coming weeks, Scott. I know uh, you're going to be all over it. We really appreciate you jumping on with us uh, for short notice here, and make sure you're, you're reading Scott's stuff to everybody out there listening. Thanks for having me. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, we are back. Great stuff from Scott Powers. And now we officially commence mock draft season. Uh, Both of you fine gentlemen have released your initial mock drafts here out of the lottery. We did a staff mock at the lottery or uh, at the athletic as well. Scott Wheeler's got his mock out. So no shortage of mocks out there. People who want to read them. We're going to focus on you two guys' mock drafts today. Uh, and I, no surprises uh, really at the top here. Uh, Corey, you've got Mitch Kov at, at eight to Washington. I think that's the first one that really maybe shocks people. Um, and I, I think probably worth talking about here, a couple of the guys that you have going right ahead of him. Uh, two guys who I believe Chris also has in his top eight or so, uh, Ryan Leonard and Delbor Dvorsky, both really good uh, World U18 tournaments here. Uh, what puts these two guys in, in this kind of air, though, Corey, uh, in your first mock? Yeah, I mean, like I said, in our, as we talked about in the earlier segment, I think trying to figure out where Mitchkov goes is the ultimate question in this draft. One, I do not pretend to have the answers to. Right now, even though I, that's what the whole point of the mock draft exercise is. <laughs> uh, and I think it's part that 
I think the sentiment I'm getting from people in the league, people with influence in the decision-making processes in the league, is if there's a guy that they consider a highly valuable player, a guy who might be a, you know, a true premium prospect, that guy probably goes ahead of Mitch Koff right now. And I think we kind of knew who those four guys were for a while, Connor Bedard, Anfantilli, Will Smith, Leo Carlson. But the more I talk to people in the league, I think there's some people who would put David Reinbacher into that bucket. And post-U18s, with how good Dalbor Dvorsky was there, I think you're starting to at least hear that sentiment that he could be in that bucket. And I, and I don't have this player rated that high, but there's a lot of people in the league who have Ryan Leonard rated that highly. And who, frankly, as I think uh, Chris aforementioned, you know, would maybe have him in the same discussion as Will Smith, frankly, on that same U.S. team. Right? There's some people who absolutely adore uh, Ryan Leonard. And so I, I'm just, based on the information I have, I think there's a decent chance both of them could go ahead and Mitchkov, uh, not be based on their player rating, just, just, it's just a, a risk uh, balancing of guys that people in the league really, really love and are feel really confident will be in their lineup within the next couple of seasons. You know, I'm looking at the the draft order and just based on what I know about the players, what I think the league thinks about the players is that I think 6 to 10 becomes the realistic range for Mitchkov, whether that is Arizona, whether it is Philadelphia, Washington, Detroit, uh, St. Louis. I, I think that one of those organizations I feel is his landing spot. I just can't confidently tell you where that is yet. Yeah, you know I- that and that's a it's a good point too about these these the designation of the premium players and I think you know to Corey's point both Leonard and Dvorsky have have kind of landed in that in that range and and I think they should you know like uh, you know I have Leonard higher than Corey does just personally my my final rankings come out at the end of the month um, but you know he's to me I think the he he plays a style that it speaks to so many NHL teams we both mocked him to Philly um, you know I think he's he fits there stylistically he fits into kind of with what they're building. He has goal scoring ability. They've already got Cutter Gauthier in there, um, you know, as, as a as a guy that they view as a as a potential center here. Um, and you know, I think that Leonard and him would would play off each other quite well. Um, you know, I think that there's also a, an opportunity there for for um, you know for for a team that you know could potentially you know move into that range. Um, you know, as well. I wonder what we don't know what Dan, Daniel Briere is really going to do yet. I think that's another thing that's kind of interesting. And and you know, do they go defense? Do they go somewhere else? You know, because as as Corey mentioned, David Reinbacher, in addition to Mitchkov, I feel like where that first defenseman is going to go is another big discussion and another thing that's going to kind of change the the way we look at uh, the top six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, because we don't exactly know uh, where those guys are going to end up, but. Really fascinating to see just kind of the, the way things jumble up after, you know, when Mitchkov goes, when the first eventsman goes. I mean, there's going to be a lot of different variables in the first 10 picks that can really change the the whole complexion of the draft, as it always does. But, you know, this year in particular, it seems like there's there could be some real shakeups. Well, those defensemen, I think that's that's the natural place to go here, right? Because your, your next defenseman after Reinbacher, Chris, goes at 15, Axel Sandin Pelica. Corey, you got Tom Volander to St. Louis at 10. I think you also have Sandy Pelica at, at 15 to Nashville. But uh, where that second D goes, I do think, is, is a real pivot point. Yeah, no, it is. And I think the St. Louis conversation is going to be really interesting. One thing in Ryan Leonard's defense, too, that I think we've talked about Will Smith and Gabe Perot's record-breaking seasons a lot. Ryan Leonard had one of the most productive seasons ever by a program player, too, You know, in terms of both points and goals. 
Uh, but going to St. Louis for a second, I think they are a really fascinating team to watch in this year's draft. They have a lot of high picks. And this is a team that, if you look at the recent draft history, have really stocked up on wingers or guys who maybe in the case of maybe Zach Duke, they think could potentially play center. But frankly, he's been a full-time wing in the queue. We presume Jake Neighbors is going to be a full-time wing in the NHL. We presume Jimmy Snuggerman is going to be a full-time wing in the NHL. All you know, good to very good prospects. Snuggerud especially had a, an incredible freshman season in Minnesota. But I think you look at this organization right now, and there isn't a whole lot of young depth at defense. There isn't a whole lot of young depth at center. And with several high picks, if you're the St. Louis Blues, I think you're really hoping you leave this draft with some, with some reinforcements coming at those positions. So, so yeah, I, I, and I think getting a center for them is important. And, and you have Charlie Stramel to them at 25 after Tom Valander at, at 10. Um, you also have them coming out of this with Oliver Bonk, uh, another kind of maybe like a high floor type of, of D. So really that's three premium positions. I know there are, maybe you have some question on is Stramel like a true center? Is he a true top half of the lineup piece? But you are getting these premium positions, these really honestly St. Louis type of players too. Uh, at least in, in how your first mock shakes out. Right. And like I said, we'll see how they ultimately end up with, with those three picks. But I, I think this is such an important draft. And I, and I do, you, you look at this organization, you look at their draft history. I think you were looking at this earlier, Max. Like, what was that time they took a defenseman in the first round? It's feel, it felt like forever. Yeah, I think it was Jordan Schmaltz was their first, first round, their last first round D. And that we're, we're back a decade already by that point. Right. And, and that one didn't even hit. Uh, so I think there, there is, I think a critical need, I think, to address that position in this organization. Yeah, absolutely. They're one of a few teams that, that have a, an opportunity like that in this draft. Chris, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, and I think to Corey's point, it's going to be a very interesting decision at that 10 spot because there are probably going to be a couple of, of good centers there too. And so it's, it's, you know, but, but there are so few premium defensemen that, you know, you, you might want to take that, use that pick as a bit of a, a reach zone. So I have, I mocked Nate Danielson to St. Louis, which is a guy that I think is kind of fits a lot of the things that they're looking for. Um, But, but I also can totally see Corey's side of it too, especially with Valander, who has been uh, a guy that's risen, a guy that plays a real strong defensive game that skates very well. I think he plays, you know, the modern defense uh, very well in terms of, you know, just that mobility factor that he has. And so it's it's going to be very I, – I, too, am very fascinated about St. Louis, especially with those other picks. They're probably going to be able to come out with with a couple of guys. But the fact that they haven't picked a defenseman in 10 years or over 10 years is is, is amazing to me, considering, you know, that they they were able to kind of get some of those core guys that they had through the draft, guys like Alex Petrangelo with a high pick, uh, Colton Pareko in later rounds, you know. So they've, they've been able to do it. But, yeah, I mean, I think this is one of those drafts where – um, you know, having a having multiple picks is going to give you so much flexibility because I do think there's depth in a lot of various positions, just not defense. So maybe you do have to reach a little bit if you want to get the best value. I think in our staff mock, uh, Jeremy Rutherford took Oliver Moore for them, another center, and that's another player I want to talk about with you two here because Chris, you, you've got more right in that same range. I think you've got him eleven to Vancouver, the very next pick. Corey, you've got him slipping a little in yours, uh, around nineteen, I think, to Winnipeg. Uh, what, what that's kind of a, a pretty big range for a guy who, you know, I think we had been talking about certainly around the top 10 for, for a lot of this run up to the draft. Yeah. I, I just, that's just based on the information I've got in the last month or two, you know, following maybe his USHL game, the USHL games 
that the 18th played, and especially after the U18 World, is I think in the industry, Moore is the fourth of the four NTDP guys in terms of the order he's going to go in. I think there's a lot of love for Gabe Perot right now. I didn't really know where to confidently project Perot in the mock. I had, I, I think, at 14 to Pittsburgh, but there are people in the league that I'm talking to who think he's going to go not only higher, but potentially much higher. Um, it's, but it's always about finding the right spot for guys. You know, you have really good players in Ryan Leonard and Dalbor Dvorsky, Matvey Mitchkov. So there's a lot, there's a lot of good players to go around. So you got to find the place in the right organization where you think it makes a fit. The mock draft exercises are, are never an exact science. Uh, but, uh, you know, so, but I think in, ter- in terms of more, I think he will be the fourth of the four to go. I think there are some mild concerns on, uh, the offense in terms of whether it's high, high end offense. To go with a 5'11 frame, it does remind me a little bit of the discourse on Alex Newhook, where I think publicly there was a lot of love for him going into his draft, and then and Peyton Krebs too as well in that year. And then when the draft actually rolled around, they went a little bit lower in terms of the projection. So I'm not saying he goes all the way to 19. Maybe that's too harsh. Maybe it's closer to 15, 16, 17. But I do think of those four big NTDP fours, he'll be the fourth taken. You made the point previously, I think, too, right? Like Gabe Pro did not just break Austin Matthews' single season record. He broke it by quite a bit. And so when you start talking about potentially it could go much higher than even we think, that I have to imagine that's the, the driving force behind that is at some point, the, the magnitude of that sentence, he smashed Austin Matthews' record, does have to carry a lot of weight. Right. I think that the issue with, with Perot is just calibrating the skill and the hockey sense. It's like, what degree is it? Are we talking... Cole Perfetti? Are we talking Lucas Raymond? Are we talking something higher, lower? Is it, you know, maybe something where it's just like Sonny Milano? Is it Trevor Zegras? These are all kind of the calibrations and, and the discussions yep. that, that need to be had in organizations. And depending who you ask, that he will get a different answer. Yeah. Yeah. One of the very strange, I, I mean, even I watching him a ton this year, still have a hard time projecting exactly where we want. And I also had him at 14 um, to the Penguins. And, you know, I, I think that there is a, a good chance that he does go a bit higher. I mean, to me, the, the, the amazing thing about Gabe Perot is, you know, I, and I don't know, Corey, maybe maybe you feel differently, but you watch him and yes, he's absolutely skilled. He makes incredible plays. He doesn't necessarily have any one dynamic element. Like it doesn't just blow, like, I don't think his hands are, are, are so, you know, like one-on-one skill wise going to beat everybody like you know I think that in some cases like Leonard might actually be you know in terms of one-on-one skill might have better hands in that regard but the thing that Perot does better maybe than anybody is just his 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 ability to read and react to plays his ability to find guys I mean certainly there's chemistry with his two line mates but the kind of the, the kind of hockey sense that Perot has, it's the kind of guy that will will probably develop chemistry with anybody. And I think that yep. that's one of the key factors that's going to allow him to rise up the draft because he makes guys around him better and he's kind of does it in an unassuming way. And and I, I'm fascinated by by him. But just to quickly get back to Oliver Moore, too, I think that the other thing that's going to kind of happen here um, in this draft and, and the reason that I mocked more higher is because of the center, you know, just once once you get past that, you start seeing a lot more wings pile up. You start seeing more of the defensemen and different things. You know, I think Vancouver very well could go, uh, you know, defense in, in, in the draft in that range. There's going to be some options potentially available to them. I don't know if David Reinbacher will be one of them. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think I that think that's he's long gone by then. Yeah, I agree. I, I had him I had him at six in mine and that that still could be, you know, a bit high. But I think that for for. 
uh, Oliver Moore, the, the center factor as well is, 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 is there. I think that the speed factor is there. You know, if you're a Vancouver, you're a team that has your long-term number one center. You got to get him under his new contract, of course. But, you know, you've got this guy and can he be that complimentary piece? Can he be a bit of more of a matchups guy? Can he be, and, and to Corey's point too, the offensive capabilities, I don't think have, have, have grown in a way that, that I thought they would this season. Um, you know, I'm not really concerned about the points as much. It's more just in, you know, his ability to finish plays because he has the feet, the hands and the brain are still trying to catch up to the feet. I think a little bit. Um, I like the player an awful lot. I think that despite the fact that he does have that five eleven frame, I think he's very sturdy. Um, he's got some good strength. He's got explosiveness to him as well. And so that's why I think there's still a good chance that he's in that top 15 range, but I agree, you know, like you start talking to more people and they say, you know, all of a sudden, you know, Gabe Perot was fourth for a real long time this year for a lot of people. And then it, yep. it's it's flipped and, and Moore is now more consistently fourth. Although in my particular mock draft, he ended up going third of the four. One more guy I want to ask you about here, guys. Uh, Samuel Hans at core. He goes nine to Detroit in yours. Uh, he, go, I, he didn't make the top 16 for Chris's uh, yours cut off there. Our staff mock cut off there at the end of the lottery because we don't quite know the exact order yet. Um, but I thought that's an interesting one. He, he's a name who I think, Corey, you've talked about maybe flying a little bit under the radar publicly compared to maybe what you're hearing. Yeah, I just, and again, this might be a little aggressive. We'll see what, where I am with my next mock draft in terms of what I'm hearing people in the league. But uh, what I have, at least from my understanding of watching the player and talking to people in the NHL, I think this is a really highly uh, thought of player. And I think this, there's a lot of reasons to love him. He's huge. He skates well. He has you know, very good skill. I mean, you look at his scoring rates uh, this season and they were still pretty good. They weren't like, in, off the charts compared to some of the other Western kids, but I think it was comparable to Brian Yeager's scoring while also being five inches taller than him. And he kills penalties and he's a, you know, he's a two-way player who competes well. I think there's a lot of reasons to, to be excited about this player. I think there were some hopes that he was going to go to the men's world. There was like kind of those rumors buzzing like a couple weeks ago and ended up not happening. That would have been a really interesting thing to see him at that, at that level. Uh, but I think there's a lot of pro projection in this player. And it's funny. I use the comparison in him to Pavel Zaka. And I get a lot of people who roll their eyes at that one. I think Pavel Zaka is think, seen as, like, as a boring player or as, as a guy who didn't live up to his draft stock, which is reasonable. But Pavel Zaka, what did he get? 50 points this season. He was a consistent top six forward on one of the very best teams in the National Hockey League. I think In recent all- NHL memory. Yes, you know, so I think uh, you like, well, and the playoffs maybe change that narrative a little sure. bit, but <laughs> but uh, but I I think you can do a lot worse than that kind of player, and I think you're looking at the playoffs right now. We're recording this uh, before uh, you know before Florida Toronto plays game four, and we'll see what the result of a lot of the playoffs are still to come. But I think you're looking at the teams that could potentially emerge to the final four. There's a lot of guys on those. Uh, forward and defense units that are that are big guys who can skate and, and compete hard and there aren't there aren't a whole lot of guys who don't look like Samuel Hansik in those lineups. I thought it was interesting there was an article in the province uh, a while back uh, in, in April. The lead of that article was that you know Steve Eisman was spotted at a couple of, of Vancouver Giants games and and the obvious guess there is is that Samuel Hansik is uh, I mean breaking news GM scouts players but uh, yeah. I did think that was an interesting little nugget right. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I mean that doesn't mean you know anything particular. Eiserman's been at a ton of yeah. games recently, scouting the top guys. Plenty of other GMs I've seen, uh, you know, at top games. At, sorry, at games scouting the top guys. It doesn't. You, you can't 
piece things together too much. I, there's been, there's one every now and then where you're like, really, yeah. you're here kind of thing. Like, you know, like this, this is not really a guy who's, you know, like a, a consensus, you know, top five, top 10 name kind of thing. But so sometimes those are, those are little clues, but, 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 but usually it's not, especially for guys like Iserman who yeah, does you're a doing your life scouting. Yeah, I, yeah. I saw him, I've seen him at live scout a lot of games for top prospects. He doesn't draft. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think that's going to do it for us today, guys. We're going to have a lot more on all this stuff uh, in the weeks to come. But thanks for listening to this episode of the Athletic Hockey Show Prospect Series. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the Athletic Hockey Show. You can also catch more of Chris over at Flow Hockey and listen to his podcast, Talking Hockey Sense. In fact, I'd recommend that you do. And right now you can get a one-year subscription to The Athletic for just a dollar a month when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show. We'll talk to you soon.